Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketers Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and once again I'm delighted to be joined by Jim Orr. Welcome back to the studio Jim, how are you? Afternoon Paul, thanks for asking me. Well you're back in, it's a day before the big one and we're asking the question Jim, first and foremost, if former Celtic Kieran Tierney is deemed eligible to play for Arsenal this weekend, will there'll be a ruling that allows Ryan Christie to return to Celtic. And we will be asking our viewers and our listeners for their views on that. Uh, if you're watching via Facebook, Twitter and also YouTube, then please get involved in the conversation. And anything else you want to talk about Celtic-related, uh, because we do have plenty to talk about on a daily basis. Jim, I'm going to be asking you about a famous a famous uh, Celtic season and one that you have covered extensively uh, back in the, the time of Vim Janssen. I can say that because he was only here for one season. And your memories of the games that we played that season. So first and foremost, we've had a wee chat uh, last week about the forthcoming fixture. I've got two big games. How many people are talking about the AC Milan game on Thursday night? It's Aberdeen next Sunday. Yeah, Big game after big game. So we'll have a wee look at ahead as well to the AC Milan, if we are able to do so. But uh, obviously Arsenal and Mikel Arteta have been pushing for the return of one of Celtic's favourite sons. I can still call him that, KT. Um, before we talk about the, um, you know, what might happen should Arsenal get Kieran Tierney back in the Arsenal lineup, what's your memories of Kieran as a player, Jim? Exceptional player. Uh, played for the jersey. Uh, just a shame he moved on, but he moved on, but totally understandable. I think a 
lot of the times you forget from the player's point of view, it's just a job at the end of the day. And if anyone's offered you know, three, four, five times what you're, what you're getting paid, you're going to jump at the chance. So understandably left, but a bit disappointing you didn't stay for the 10. It was disappointing. And I think every single Celtic fan took Kieran to their heart. And there was a lot of disappointment, obviously, when he left Jim. And there was a an interview fairly recently where he said that he didn't feel as though he was welcome back or he was almost scared to come back to Celtic. Do you think, you know, that's ridiculous, is it not? Yeah, that's ridiculous, yeah. End of, yeah. There's absolutely no reason why Kieran Tierney wouldn't be welcome back for the 10-in-a-row party should we be sitting here in May having uh, wrapped up the 10th consecutive title. I think there's too many nutters on social media, so you, you can't pay much attention to that. You know, never argue with idiots, because they'll, they'll, they'll tend to bring you out of their levels, so I think you can ignore all that stuff. I think if you'd a poor amongst the Celtic fans, 99.9% would welcome KT back with open arms. Oh, absolutely, and I, I would be one of them. I think he's done brilliantly since he's gone down there. We're all aware of the situation that arose during the international break, obviously with Armstrong testing positive and then Tierney and Christie um, having to isolate. Now, that isolation takes us right up to uh, this Saturday's games. Arsenal are pushing big time. Are Celtic, do you think, just waiting to see what happens with that? Absolutely. I mean, I'm not sure what Arsenal's case is, but if... If it pops up in Sky over there that, that, that KT can play tomorrow, one would imagine Ryan Christie plays tomorrow, but I wouldn't hold up much hope for that. I, I can't see the kind of the logic or the rationale or the reasoning why they would allow Kieran Tierney to play, but if he does, then there can't be any argument that Ryan Christie gets to play as well. Now, we have been speaking about this game probably for the best part of the two weeks due to the fact that there was no games uh, at the weekend there, Jim. So let's just recap on how you think this is going to go tomorrow. We're going to have another bulletin tonight and the bulletin will be a, an Axon bulletin. It will be around 8 o'clock and I will be joined by Jim Simonetti of the Jimmy Johnson Academy and also Stevie Mullen from St Rock. So a good lineup tonight at 8 o'clock. It's a slightly different time but it'll be interesting to see how many Celtic fans get involved. We do get a good audience um, in the afternoon Jim but I know that people are getting home and they've maybe got a, a routine where they're listening to various radio shows and why not tune into a Celtic state of mind instead? Yeah I think we sat here last week and we talked about Eddie's out of the game and Ryan Christie's out of the game and we talked about the fact that this was a such an unusual season. It's been such an unusual week in terms of what's happened uh, and what could have happened with the team because it could be that Eddie could play tomorrow and depending on the Kiontina it could be Ryan Christie plays tomorrow. And I think when we got to got to Monday last week, I think we lost near Beaton and El Hamid was about to be uh, counted out as well. And sad person that I am, I sat down and, and wrote out my worst case scenario team and I thought if nobody comes back, if every international player catches mm. COVID or has to self-isolate, what we left with. So Interesting. Make up this team, and I think you know, should be good enough, that team. And then uh, Baines in there, and, and your pal, right back, Tony Ralston, and so on and so forth. And I thought, well, that team's likely good enough. And then on Twitter on Tuesday, and there's a tweet from Celtic saying, Good luck, Diego. So what's this? So Laxalt was playing for Uruguay. So he's travelling halfway around the world, and you think, Hold on. He's now out the worst case scenario team because he's going to get this thing as well. Mm. And then that night, there's a flash comes up, Scotland are two up, second goal scored by David Turnbull. Thinking, what? Who's who sees what, what's happening here? There was an under 21 game on Tuesday night. Yep. No idea that was happening. So all of a sudden, Turnbull's out the worst case scenario team. So you're starting to struggle that if nobody comes back, what kind of team are we going to have? And then it occurred to me again that the fact that Eddie was counted out last week. It wasn't even with the main national team. It was under-21 team. Mm. And you start looking at the whole farcical situation. Why were they asking the under-21s to play? Never mind the main teams. And then when you look at the competitions that are playing, this is Nations League. Well, they could have left that to maybe next March or next April. Yeah. Because the point behind the Nations League is to give a kind of backdoor entry to teams who weren't good enough to qualify through the normal routes. You know, so this season they should have said, you know what, it's even not good enough to qualify. That's you out this time. Mm -hmm. Should have done that. And I'd have left, if you take the Scotland position, they'd potentially a semi-final and a final to play. Two games. So rather than have an international break, September, October, November, just have one and play those two games You know, in that one break. Maybe November, leave it as late as possible. And do what they did with the Champions League, whereby take all those, I think there was 16 teams involved in this. Take the 16 teams to Germany or to Portugal. 
and play at Wednesday, Saturday. If you get knocked out on the Wednesday and then you're back up the road, if you win, then you play the final playoff game on the Saturday. Because this whole thing about players potentially getting COVID, I think nobody knows how bad COVID is unless you actually get COVID. And we're a bit simplistic in reviews of Eddie, I think. Because I know somebody who, who picked up COVID back in April. Young guy in his 20s, and he's still not over it yet. No. He still can't do a week's work. He's in his 20s, young guy. So most of our players are young guys in their 20s. And what if, what if this affected Eddie significantly? What if, I mean, he, Eddie's one of these guys where we know that, you know, in five years' time, he'll be playing for one of the top leagues in Europe. He'll be earning a fortune. He'll be playing for the national team, etc. But what if COVID had such an effect on him? Mm. There was some long-term health issues with him. His lungs went, or whatever it was. So rather than having this big transfer fee in a couple of years' time, what if it affected him so badly that he was two or three yards short, he couldn't last 90 minutes? Where does the blame lie there? Well, th- this is a great a great topic, actually, Jim, because when the news broke that, obviously, Edward had uh, tested positive, I think as football fans, as pundits... You know, you're watching the news breaking uh, on mainstream channels and at no point does anyone give that consideration. It, straight away you're looking at, will he be fit for Saturday? You know, so there's this, you know, you, you basically pigeonhole footballers into a different category than the normal 20-odd-year-old uh, male that you've already mentioned. I think that's that's the thing that, that I'd want to be looked into in terms of the next international break, November, I think every team, every player is quite entitled to say, no, I'm not going. Because of the duty of care, because mm-hmm. Celtic and other teams have got a bubble and they're spending a fortune to make sure that everything works right. And then once they go away out of that bubble, so who actually asked them to go out the bubble? You know, is that a UEFA stipulation? If you're asked to go, you have to go. Is it the French Federation? Who is it? So if you took that, I mean, it's obviously a kind of an extreme situation whereby if a top player contracted COVID and it was serious and it affected his long-term future who does he blame? Who does he sue? You know, and if you're going to sue UEFA, and it was Eddie for example, so Eddie you know, in two or three years time will be earning four or five million pound a year and he'll be playing for ten years so he could potentially lose 40 or 50 million pounds yep. by going to play for the French under 21 team in a meaningless game so say that was to happen, who does Eddie sue for his 40 or 50 million? Well, this, this is the thing. You know, because Celtic are obliged, right. Celtic are obliged to release a player. So if that was an actual fact, if that actually did happen, and there's a few players did that, so if the player that does that is looking to send UEFA a bill for 40, 50 million, they might rethink that. Because the fact that, as I said five minutes ago, the fact that all these tournaments are on in a global pandemic, you have to ask serious questions of the people who run UEFA. Yeah. And the fact that there's no fans at the games, it doesn't matter. And even, even from Celtic's point of view, I mean, the whole playing six Europa League games this season, why? Mm-hmm. You know, you could play three and you could play them all over the course of one week. Do the same thing again. It doesn't matter. So why are we playing six games? Why is it home and away? Because again, when we do it next time, and I think the big issue this week is because of the magnitude of the games that they potentially might miss. Mm-hmm. I think if we're playing Hamilton or Livingston tomorrow, then you, know, you, you could lose half your team and no disrespect to them, you should have enough in your squad to be a Hamilton or a Livingston. Whereas we're playing the closest challengers. They are the league leaders. And we've got one of the you know, AC Milan on Thursday. Yes. So I think the big issue is, is because who we're playing. And that's why people are making such a big fuss about it. But the whole thing comes back to health. And health should be the most important thing. The duty of care thing. And it's a kind of thing teams say, but what does it actually mean? And what have UEFA done in terms of their duty of care to the players in their association? Don't know. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And I mean, when we looked over the international break, there were there were international friendlies. You've mentioned the tournaments, Jim. And I mean the Nations League, regardless of your uh, you know, your interest in international football or not, it's a money making exercise. And I've heard a lot of the international managers saying, you know, it's better than playing friendlies. Well, if you add that competitive edge, then the chances are you'll sell more tickets for well, the I games. Think, I mean, sorry, but I think it's actually a really good idea. Now, if you're going to play international football, the reason that they've put this thing in is because nobody wanted to play friendly games. Players didn't want to play it, fans didn't turn up. So they came up with this wee idea, make it competitive, and there's a bit of a carrot at the end of it. So for the Euros, you've got a chance to actually qualify for the Euros through the back door. 
So that's a good idea. The World Cup, you've got a chance to go into the playoffs, the World Cup. No one's arguing that it's not a good idea. But not this year. And not now. No, it was a chance, as I said, for teams who weren't good enough to qualify to get in. And this is the year they used to just say, you know what, if you're not good enough to qualify normally, we're not doing it this year. This year, of all years. And they've waited. I mean, that's the fact that Scotland, and I'm assuming every other international team, played two games in September, three games last week, and three games, is it November? Mm. There's eight games. Mm-hmm. Totally unnecessary. And what I just said earlier about, you know, the playoff games, they were big games, a chance to actually qualify. So play them by all means, but do it differently. And don't, you know, have teams having to travel. Because the Scotland team next month uh, is going to Serbia, isn't it? They're going to Serbia. And we're going to have the same thing again. You open up that, that situation once again. You I open up the doors to the virus spreading I, again, Jim. Aye. And I think we're playing Hibs at Easter Road after that and then Sparta away, I think. I think it's two away games after that. It's bonkers. It's just, it's madness. All things madness. No, it is. And again, it all just comes down to money. Uh, you know, Aye. yes, it's better to play competitive football, but it comes down to the balance sheet, Jim, and it's all about money making before um, having the, the players' best interests at heart. And that's why we've got a plethora of players who are out, not only for Celtic, but across the board. And Celtic have been hit particularly hard by this. And I'm hoping we've got the ticker tape playing up in the wall there, Jim. I'm hoping we don't get any breaking news saying that anyone else is affected because we know that, for example, Shane Duffy was part of that, the Republic of Ireland side, and there was loads of them affected by it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you've travelled with the team, you've been in the same kind of like uh, hotel, etc. as a team, training with them. So, yeah, there's a big concern with that. So your worst-case scenario team, let's talk about your team before we get to the audience who are joining us through our social media team channels. Team first more, yeah. more of it. If everyone's fit. Now, does that include, I mean, Eddie is back, but with what you've just said there, is he actually going to be a player that you can even consider on the bench? Because, you know, he's had this illness, he's been in isolation, he's been training on his own. Yes, he said he didn't feel any ill effects, but, you know, is it a good idea to have him thrown back in? Again, because there's no idea what COVID is like unless you've actually got it. You know, if it was, a, if it was something like a mild cold, for example... And Eddie's not played in two weeks and he had a mild cold, over the mild cold, keeping himself relatively fit. At this stage of the season, not having a game for a couple of weeks may be a good thing. Mm. So if you were to assume that everyone is fit and ready to go, I think uh, I think there's about seven players picked themselves without even thinking about it. And that would be Barkaz, the back three, Duffy, Ayer, Julian. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Uh, uh, Scott Brown, Carl McGregor, who's my seventh? Barkaz, three the back. Barkaz, Duffy, Julian, uh, Ayer, uh, Frimpong in one wing, Frimpong, McGregor, Brown. Who do you play at left wing? Is it like so or Taylor? I go with like so, I mm-hmm. think, because I think. I think we should be going to the playing the game tomorrow to play the game as opposed to playing the team. You know, if you play the game, you'll see, well, we're actually the best team, let's go and play our game and let them worry about us. If you play the team, then you'll see, well, what are their strengths and how do you combat their strengths? I think you said the other day that, you know, I think their obvious strengths are their, their wide players, mm. uh, Barisic and Tavernier, Tavernier, how you have they pronounce that? They get the ball wide and they, and they put the ball in quick and they play with a lot of pace. So do you say, well, let's pick a team to combat that? Or do we pick a team to make them think about us? 
Uh, yeah. So three at the back, and do you go five in midfield and, and, and uh, two up top, or do you go uh, something different from that? Uh, I think it'll play charm from the experience point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the two up top, if they were fit, as I said last week, huge fan of League Griffiths, Griffiths and Airy, if they're, if they're fit. If they're not fit, then maybe only one up top with Griffiths, and then maybe Moyle and Usi maybe just playing off him. Kind of thing. So I think I think seven the players pick themselves. Depends on your view on the left hand situation and depends what kind of formation you do. But at the end of the day, I think you also said the other day that Lenny's got a kind of a kind of habit of throwing a curveball yeah. somewhere. So who's the curve curveball? Could that be David Turnbull? Could that be Roger? Could that be something like that? So uh, so if it was down to me, I'd, I would go three five two, Eddie and Griff up front, Cham in the middle with McGregor and Brown, Frimpong, Assault, Wings in the, in the usual back three. I like the look of that side. Um, because other than Edwards, who I don't think will start, that's the team that I picked, Jim. Uh, with El Yanusi up there with Griff, just playing off with Griffiths. Mm-hmm. Uh, the curveball, as you say, I think it's either Clamalla up front or potentially Turnbull. And let's not forget a Yeti. That could also be a, a surprise inclusion because we don't know how, again, we don't know how fit he is, how fit has he managed to get over the last couple of weeks. So I think he's been, he's been a great signing so mm-hmm. far, but. The thing I've noticed about him, he kind of he doesn't move around too much, and I think for, for tomorrow, I'd like to have players with a bit of movement amongst them, and that's why Griffiths will, will take them all over the place tomorrow. Yeah. And if they play Mo, he's another guy who'll take them all over the place, so that'll create space for other people. I think a Yeti, maybe because he's maybe not up to fix yet, a bit too static. He's like a penalty box player, and whether he'll get lots of chances tomorrow, I don't know. So I'd like a lot of movement in the team, so I'll go for I'll go for that eleven. Now, as I said before, Jim, we're going to be joined this evening at around 8 o'clock. We'll confirm that nearer the time uh, due to travel, etc. We're going to be joined by Stevie Mullen, the president of St. Rocks, and also Jim Simonetti, um, who runs the Jimmy Johnson Academy. We'll be talking all about tomorrow's game. We'll get a different perspective. And we'll be inviting the audience uh, to get involved via Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. And I think at that time of the night, we should get quite a bit of interest and quite a bit of uh, engagement from people who tune into a Celtic state of mind, of uh, which there are many and we really appreciate it. We're going to be going to some of your uh, questions and queries in just a moment. And we'll also be able to talk to Jim about some of his memories from that uh, historic season when we stopped the 10. So, Jim, you are famed for Bend It Like Bratback. Uh, last week you told us all about Bend It Like Bertie. You've previously worked on uh, Bend It Like Baxter. So there's a wee thread developing. But let's go back to that season. The season of the Bratback. The year of the the, the year of the Brat. And uh, Vim Janssen coming in, obviously you have studied that season um, to the nth degree for your play. Mm-hmm. What's your big memories of the games we played that season? Games against Rangers? Yes. Yeah. It was a... They were really important games. They were... They were Games that changed the season, basically. And they were all a wee bit different when you think back to them. Because the first game uh, was meant to be played early on in the season. Uh, mm. I think it was going to be the third or the fourth game of the season. And we'd lost the first two games. And they were on fire. And Negri was scoring goals for fun. I think he scored five goals in one game. Was that Dundee United, I think? Dundee yeah. United. And I think if we had played what was called the Old Firm game, then we'd have lost it. We'd definitely lost the game. And we'd have went nine points behind. And if we'd have went nine points behind, that early in the season it was finished, and that would have been a ten. And the game wasn't played because that was the, the death of Dye. Uh, so the game was meant to be on, uh, it was on Monday night, it was meant to be on at Celtic Park. And uh, Princess Dye died on the Sunday, I think it was, and they cancelled all the games. So it was a bit of a let-off for Celtic not to have to play that game uh, because we'd have lost it, definitely. Uh, the first game of the season uh, was actually at Ibrox then, uh, and we go to Ibrox. An interesting thing, now I can come to think of that, because uh, if you think of the situation tomorrow, they're trying to stop us doing the 10, so they're coming to Celtic Park. When we tried to stop them doing the 10, we went to Ibrox Park twice and lost twice. Mm-hmm. right? And those were the days that we had that kind of inferiority complex couldn't help but have that if you've lost nine championships in a row, even though you thought you might beat them on a one-off occasion. So going to Ibrox, you were a bit wary and a bit, as I said, a bit of an inferiority complex. They may have that tomorrow. 
You know, they'd maybe come with that kind of attitude tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So we go to Ibrox and, and I think we played reasonably in the first half, but they just signed Richard Goff back. And uh, and Goff, you couldn't make it up, scores the only goal of the game, and that was the game that he ran back to the crowd and gave it the gave it the ten fingers. Uh, Although to this day he denies it. Yeah, it's he one was, video, so it's there. Mm-hmm. He so, says he was raising the roof, Jim. He was raising the roof. He yes, certainly was with, giving us the ten, ten fingers. fingers. Uh, for every ten fingers, we'll spend five fingers. Is that? <laughs> so, uh, so then the rescheduled game is then played. Uh, I think it was a week after that game. So you just lost one 0 at Ibrox. Uh, the league was still re- relatively close. There was only a few points in it, and then we played them at Celtic Park, and uh, I was at that game because the season ticket holder. So it was that game, and that was the game that Gascoigne got sent off uh, by John Robotham. and then Negri scores against the a play which tended to happen back then so 1-0 down against 10 men so you know the 10 in a row is looking like uh, almost guaranteed then and then into injury time and Alan Stubbs pops up with equaliser and something like the second minute injury time and that was one of the most pivotal goals of the season yeah. again we don't score that one I think we'd have went 5 or 6 points behind at that point because I think Rangers had a wee dip that season. They were they were quite inconsistent that season as well. I mean, if they'd have played the way they could have played, they'd have ran away with the league, but they weren't. They were quite inconsistent. And Wim tended to get you know, a bit of a tune out of the Celtic team and we kind of kept on their coattails for most of the season. So big stubs scoring kind of kept us in it. And then you fast forward to the New Year's Day game and you alluded to the game the other day where Anoni had loud up in his back pocket. Uh, but it was 0-0 at half-time and, the, and, and Harold had missed two or three really good chances. Because uh, he was quite a frustrating player to most of the most of the fans, because because he was really really fast and he got himself in the right positions, but mm. through a combination of maybe bad luck, poor finishing, good goalkeeping, Andy Gorham, the usual kind of stuff, yep. didn't he score? So it was 0 nil at half time, and then you're thinking, well, here we go again, and then Burley scores, I think, the most pivotal goal of the season, uh, for a brilliant reverse ball by Jackie McNamara. Oh, brilliant! To make it yeah, nil. superb. And that just gave him, you know, the impetus and the belief. And to be honest, I don't think Rangers as much of a had made many chances that game, and then Lambert pops up in the last few minutes with the screamer. So two 0 in my back. Because if we lost that game, I think we went seven behind. So we win that game, and we're within three points, something like that. Uh, you then fast forward to the last game, which was in April, where it's kind of nip and tuck. I think we'd managed to get three or four points ahead by that point in time, uh, and we go to Ibrox and we lose two 0 and and we didn't play particularly well that game, and then we lost in the cup. Was it the following week? Uh, we played him in the cup semi-final at Celtic Park mm-hmm. because Hamden was getting refurbished. So we look back in that season, they were, they were pivotal games in determining the league and I think these will be pivotal games. Even though Lenny, you know, I heard Lenny saying yesterday won't, you know, won't have a great impact on the kind of final position, but it, but it will. And the psychological boost of winning the game tomorrow. You know, if we were to, to win that tomorrow and go and win the game in hand to go five points ahead, I think it would be plain sailing from there on in. I think there's a massive psychological boost involved, Jim. I think, you know, you you know that season so, so well. And I think it's interesting actually to point out that we only beat Rangers on one occasion Correct. during Vim Janssen's time at the club. Correct. Uh, the other thing, again, but this can be argued away, I didn't think that Janssen was all that interested in bleeding any youngsters into that side. Uh, but again, that's because it was a, you know, it was a project, if you like. He had to get that job done that season and I he had to I stop th- the 10. Yeah, because I think I said that last week, or last time I was on, that, that it's very hard to bring in young players. Mm. Because this whole going for the 10 is affecting everything else. You know, I think maybe the second last time I was on, that we signed Patrick Clamalla and Soro back in January for serious money, two and three million pounds, something yeah. like that. Yep. Now, back in the day, if you signed a player for a lot of money, he'd be in the next Saturday, mm-hmm. he'd all be dead excited. But we're signing players at two and three million pounds and not playing them. And it's understandable why they're not getting played because the games are too big. And it's and it's like ninety seven, ninety eight all over again. Every point's a prison and you can't drop a point. If you point if you drop if you were to draw a game and drop two points, it's an absolute disaster. So so every game is really, really important. And as I think I said last week, that unless you get three goals up, you're not enjoying the game because you could potentially lose a daft goal before you know it. And it's like the Livingston game a few weeks ago, you're cruising and you lose a goal and it's only three two. So you can't stick a young player on. I think was that not the game that I think Lenny had two or three subs warmed up and ready to go. I think Turnbull was going to come on. Mm-hmm. 
and someone all of a sudden you lose a goal and you think well, hold on we can't maybe take off Scott Brown because we yeah. need him there to see us through these last 10 minutes so it's totally understandable why uh, younger players or, or newer players are not getting involved in the team in, in the same way it was back in 97 and 98 I think back in 97 and 98 we have a core of about 13 or 14 players mm-hmm. and we're very fortunate not to get injuries or suspensions that season because you know we didn't have a a huge squad, but what we did have was a kind of really good first 11. We did. And it was them that took us over the line. So people like Henrik, obviously, was and Lambert, they were exceptional players. Good guys at the back, like Big Stubbs and Reaper. So we were a really good, solid team, but lucky with injuries, lucky with suspensions. And a wee bit lucky that they didn't, the other guys didn't play to their full potential, because if they did, they might not have done it. You know, when you look back on that first game, uh, that season against Rangers, the, the game where... Goff gives us the ten fingers, and another element of that was the the fallout between Tosh McKinley and Henrik Larsson up at Barrafield. Yeah, and I've spoken to Tosh about it. I've spoken to Simon Donnelly because some of Henrik's blood ended up on his yeah. tracksuit or was it a shell suit top at training? Mm-hmm. Um, and you had all that going on in the background as well, Jim. You had the the fact that um, there was a, an issue between Jock Brown and Vim Jansen from early early on in the season in terms of their relationship. So you did have uh, some division in amongst Celtics. So when you look back on it now, it's incredible the job that Vim Janssen done. I mean, I think when you looked into that season, in that kind of depth, it was remarkable they managed to win the league. Yeah. Because there was so many things happening. Janssen comes in at the last minute, basically. Uh, back in the day, the, 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 there wasn't a transfer window. So you were signing players as the season went on. So it wasn't until some like... And just before the Rangers game, they were saying Paul Ladford. The first Rangers game, they were saying Lambert, which was like November or so. Harold didn't come to December. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we only signed about four players at the start. I think we signed Henrik and Darren Jackson and Reggie Blinker and Craig Burley. Burley obviously was a phenomenal signing. Johnny Gold. Johnny Gold, the guy who was hardly getting the game for, who was it? Bradford. Bradford Reserve yeah, or something yeah. like that. So, so it's kind of, Wim Janssen, kind of a foreign country, uh, tries to pull this team together, lots of foreign nationalities. After two games, people are screaming for his head. You know, he must have thought, what's this about? But bit by bit, he got it together. And he was a phenomenal manager. It's just a shame he didn't, obviously, stay on for longer than that one season. But, uh, but he managed to stop the 10, which was the main thing. And that's what the team across the city are going to try and do in this year. So they're under loads of pressure as well. Yeah. Tomorrow, but... you know, so it's not like a one-way street. And they think they're playing... I think they are maybe playing the better football. They're a lot more, you know faster direct than we are. We tend to kind of push and probe and try and try and pull teams out a wee bit. It's a wee bit like chess the way we play, kind of let's go left, let's go right, let's put there's a bit more in your face, direct hunting in packs. So but a fascinating game from a tactical point of view. And mentioned earlier about the team, so is is Lenny going to pick the team to play the game or to play the other team? So so be interesting. It will be. It certainly will be Jim. And I think when I've been watching Celtic this season like everybody else and uh, picking holes in every game, not in a negative sense, but so that we can analyse them and discuss them on a Celtic state of mind. The one thing that has been uh, striking for me is where we play so much football down the left, but it's far less effective than Frimpong on the right. And I think that's why I would be throwing in Diego Laxalt, even though it's his debut and it's a big game. Um, We're playing the title challengers and I take all of that into consideration. When you look back on your Celtic support in life, Jim, when when a player comes in who doesn't really know the Scottish game, yes, Celtic are a global brand and we, we tend to deem the, the Derby game as one of the biggest derbies in the world. There are people who aren't all that concerned about it in Uruguay and there's people who aren't all that concerned about it if you're playing for AC Milan. So I don't really think there's, there's the pressure of him making his first appearance for sure, making his debut for Celtic. There's a new team. He's played a bounce game. He's obviously not trained with everybody in the last couple of weeks. But there's no risk, I don't think, in throwing Laxalt in there, is there? No, I think you're right. I, I would throw him because I think we do need something better down that left-hand side going forward. I think Greg Taylor has, has actually not... Yeah, he's been pretty good. He's hardly put a foot wrong. But in terms of... It doesn't have that burst of pace that Kieran Tierney had to get you past somebody, get you to the line to cut the balls back. So he, he tends to play the ball back quite a lot. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking for a bit of speed... It's not really there doing the left-hand side, whereas on the right-hand side, Frimpong's just like a rabbit. Give it to him. And he... So if, 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 if Laxalt, and I haven't seen him, but if Laxalt gives us a bit more pace, a bit more penetration down that left-hand side, then you're going to keep the other team guessing. Because I think if we didn't have... I think if he plays Greg Taylor tomorrow, then everything's going to come down the right. 
and they'll double up on Frimpong down the right and that so where did the chances come from where do you go and I think and I, like you said I think it'll play like Sock tomorrow to get ahead to play the game to try and go and win the game uh, they're actually playing quite well I mean you, you can't argue with how they've performed so far in terms of the goals they've scored and hardly any goals against and the points they've got it's been very very similar to us and there's, there's not much in it I was looking at this yesterday because I thought I'd better maybe do some research on what's actually been happening this season and the fascinating thing I found that we've only lost one goal in the second half this season interesting start and that was the that was the boy Livingston that mm-hmm. from uh, distance and the four goals that we've lost in the first half two of them were penalties one was a deflected own goal uh, and one was that from a corner from the Samarin game right so we've only lost five goals this season they've only lost three to be fair and we've scored roughly the same as we've scored 26 they scored 25 something like that so so in terms of, I mean, just, just the bare facts, I'm not, it's not as if it's a, a kind of deeply analytical Celtic by numbers or anything, but in terms of looking at just, just the kind of top line numbers, they're very similar into this game. And it's just a shame there's no fans there because, you know, it's, it's quite a good game. Let's touch on that just for a moment then. So I'm thinking of your Celtic support in life. I had a wee chat yesterday with Stevie Mullen who looked back on some of his favourite Celtic uh, games. Uh, you know, and when, when I look at occasions where there's been issues with fans in the stadiums there's been a few in your life in different circumstances so we're thinking about the game we had to play behind closed doors against Atletico Madrid because of the rapid mm-hmm. Vienna fiasco yeah. and ultimately we were uh, knocked out of the tournament that season unfortunately you've then got uh, a situation where we were banned from Ibrox and uh, under Lou McCarry we managed to go out there and get a 1-1 draw and obviously there was a couple of fans that uh, hired a plane to fly a banner across uh, the, the the sky there. And uh, there's been occasions, of course, where the games have been boycotted, but they weren't empty, were they, Jim? I mean, you obviously were in and in about the mix of the, you know, the uh, Save Ourselves movement in the early 90s, so you know all about that. But there were still fans at the game. There were just low attendances, I think. Was it 12,000, 14,000, that kind of thing? So how big a part is that going to play? And, and this fixture of all right fixtures. It's still, I find it still a bit odd watching the games on the TV when there's nobody there. And you've got, you can watch one Sky channel where it gives you some noise and then one Sky channel gives you no noise. So you watch the Sky channel with the noise to make it sound like a football match. But it's still pretty much like, I think I said last week, like over the park and watching a bunch of amateurs playing in terms of atmosphere. So Celtic thrive in the atmosphere uh, of Glasgow derbies. Uh, so people like, Scott Brown, you can see him getting pushed on. He just loves mm. milk and all that kind of stuff. So it will be a factor. Uh, uh, there's no doubt that will be a factor. And it'll be weird. Uh, weird for the players, uh, if not for the fans. Just, just It's going to be a really weird season. The whole thing. So we take it used to it, I suppose. But uh, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be just, just really, really strange. It's going to be difficult to get used to it. I think, you know, we're sitting here in October first derby game and I'm certainly not used to it yet Jim uh, but just in a few moments we're going to be having a look at some of the comments that uh, our viewers are sending in via Facebook Twitter and YouTube so let's have a look at some of the comments coming in Joe Porter you are a regular visitor to uh, Celtic State of Minds Bulletin uh, and you're talking about the issue around Ryan Christie obviously missing the game as we speak and uh, obviously Arsenal pushing um, to try and get Tierney in for the Man City game. So, Joe says, if one shoe fits, it fits everyone. On another note, if Arsenal deem Tierney far too important to miss a big game, then the Celtic youth setup have done magnificently to produce such a gem. Absolutely, Joe. And I think that, you know, I was actually talking about this last night. We're talking about uh, the players that have been brought through, if you like, under the, the respective managers during the nine-in-a-row era and I had to give special praise to Ronnie Dyler because, you know, Ronnie gave Kieran Tierney his debut, he gave Callum McGregor his Celtic debut, Chris Iyer, Ryan Christie. And, you know, he developed many other players as well, Jim. But, you know, I think this season, going back to, and this is why I keep harking back to the Vim Janssen season, there's no chance that Celtic and Neil Lennon are going to have the opportunity to bleed young guys in unless it was absolutely necessary this, this season, is there? Yeah, and that was the same last season. And it was the same that like I said the other day as well that if they'd have played all the games, would have won the league with a few games to spare. And then Lenny would have just, you know, given all these guys a chance. Sorrow would have played, Patrick Clamal would have played, even young Dembele would have played last season. So you get a chance to see what they like. 
but there's no chance, as you say, that anyone's going to get in there because the size of the squad as well. So if you're if you've got a bench that's got Tom Rogic on it, or mm. potentially league league Lee's on the bench as well. Potentially, you've got you've got you know David Turnbull. You've got a really really strong bench. So how does a, even a young guy go on the bench? Never mind. On, on the, and you have to be fair to all your players because the other thing that again that we don't know how it is to manage a football team at that kind of level. So if you're learning, you're trying to keep everyone happy. Uh, and you've not got a lot of game time. And that's why I was always quite surprised that and Cham never left because he's not getting a lot of game time. And I, I, from a personal point of view, if everyone's fit, I don't see him playing either. I see him coming on maybe for the last 10, 15 minutes to give Scott Brown a break. I know the odd game is going to leave, leave him out. He may be playing champ, but he's not. Well, for me, that's just, again, personal opinion. I don't see him as a as a kind of first 11 player. Maybe he might go in January, but astonishing stayed. Good he stayed, great he stayed. And as I said, I think he'll play tomorrow because he's an experienced guy. Yeah. And uh, I think Lenny will go for experience in that game and hopefully he scores the winner or whatever, but... Uh, yeah, it's just really, really difficult to bring in young guys, understandably so. Oh, it definitely is. And Celtic have a great tradition of doing it, Jim. You know, when you go right back to, you know, the 1950s and the Kelly kids, and then it went obviously on to the Lisbon Lions, the Quality mm-hmm. Street gang. We're moving into the 70s and 80s, and you've got players like Roy Aiken, Tommy Burns, Paul McStay, Charlie Nicholas. It went on and on. I think we stopped producing to that level maybe during the 90s, in actual fact, and that's maybe because we were chasing somebody else. And, I think you know, also fans like to see that, like to see somebody from the local area. Mm-hmm. And obviously things have changed that, you know, uh, not harking back to the good old days, but in the 60s and the 70s, you're kind of Roy Aitken and Tommy Burns lived in the same street, maybe drank in the same pub as you, so you were more identifiable yeah. in terms of the fans, but that's that's now not the case. Uh, but that's the way football's going. That Most of your team... I'm from Scotland, never mind from, from your local area. So, but yeah, it's always good to bring young kids through, but you actually wonder, you know, if, if it's actually worth it in terms of the expense. I mean, obviously Celtic spend a lot of money in Lennoxton. Mm. Uh, is it good value for money? Who knows? Because the thing I always notice when you play teams in Europe or even watching the international games, some of the so-called smaller nations or, or teams from smaller nations have got some fantastic players. Yeah. You know, who are not getting paid a lot of money. So, you know, we... He's well going to buy six or seven of their players rather than spending millions of pounds on a youth setup. Well, the, the thing I keep going back to, Jim, is we hark on about the Reserve League because we remember it. We remember it. There's a generation of football fans out there who won't remember what the Reserve League was. Mm-hmm. And we talk about it as a bridge between youth development, yeah, elite football, and moving into a first team. And there's a huge gap there. And mm-hmm. I think, obviously, back in the day, we had the Reserve League. And for a number of reasons... That was disbanded, but we're too far down the line now to ever reintroduce it because there's not enough teams would be able to finance a reserve team in a reserve league. So I think the only other option that uh, has been spoken about, of course, this season and in previous seasons is the Colts setup, whereby a team like Celtic, they're, they're investing so much money in youth development at Lennox Town that they do have a team playing competitive football, not under 23 football, not under 21 football, but they're playing in a league and they're playing as part of the pyramid. And I think that's something that perhaps after everything settles down here and we, we see the real extent of the damage to some of the clubs, Jim, that we'll need to revisit. I'm not so sure about that one. I understand the logic behind it, but I think you have to look at the quality of opposition you're then playing. I think the lower down the leagues you go, the more physical it becomes. And I'd be concerned if you took somebody like Young Dembele, and I'm trying to think of who plays in the lower tiers quite sure. He's Fife in there. East Fife, yeah. And, in there. You know. So young Dan Bears up in East Fife and he's kicked up and down the park. So, so I'm not so sure that you know that's such a good idea. I understand a bit about playing competitive football, but it depends who you're playing against. And I think what they've tried to do over the last number of seasons maybe have uh, European tournaments. Yes. UK tournaments yeah. where if you're playing the Barcelona equivalent, then that's good because you're playing players of a similar standard. Uh, how many games you can get out of that? Who knows? Uh, obviously none with the current pan- pandemic. But uh, I think it's a difficult one. And I think if you've got a youth setup and you spend millions of money and you are able to sell something like Kieran Tierney and recoup, what was it, 25 million or so? Yeah. Then that pays for it and that's absolutely fine. Uh, but how many of the young guys actually come through into the first team and stay there? I mean, James yeah. Forrest is one, Callum McGregor is another one, and Kieran Tierney from, from memory. In the last 10 years, mm. 
say. So, so th- is there any more you can think of? Well, but beyond that, you're looking at players like McManus, Kennedy, McGeady, and, and Maloney, which seems uh, like a long, long time ago. Aye, that was the previous maybe yeah. decade. So you're thinking that if you were to look, is Lennartson value for money in terms of bringing on young talent? Three and ten years, not such a shoot, but Forrest has obviously played a pivotal part in the ten. Callum McGregor's played a pivotal part in maybe five or six of the ten. Mm-hmm. Kieran Tierney's played a pivotal part in two or three of them, plus recoup twenty-five million. So from that point of view, it gets a big tick. Uh, if we did less players than that and we hadn't sold anyone, I'm not so sure that's worth it. When you could maybe go over to Lithuania or Macedonia or Serbia and, and sign three or four highly gifted players out there who are learning buttons, you know, who are coming here, it's almost a finished article. Mm-hmm. So it's one that's, I mean, there's, there's goods and bads in terms of how that works out. But I think Lennartson has been valued for money just because of the three of them, plus the transfer we got from Kieran Tierney. Yep, Kieran Tierney, probably Aidan McGeady was a wee bit earlier than Lennox Town. And Aidan brought in about nine million as well. Yeah. Something like that. So, so that was good money. Sean Maloney, what was his transfer fees? I think, you know, it wasn't as much as you, you recall, because I was think... Was Villa for yeah. million, something like mm-hmm. that? Something like that. And we also said, Manus didn't go anywhere, Colwell didn't go anywhere. Kennedy uh, was Kennedy unfortunate enough to have to retire. But yeah, it's it's one of these things where if Celtic were, were bleeding in four and five youngsters this season and we didn't win the league, there'd be plenty to be said about it, Jim. So uh, it's maybe a romantic notion that I have that every season we've got this conveyor belt of four or five players to come through. So what do you think will happen next year? Well, next year, this is a big question. What happens next? We've spoken a wee bit about that on the pod as well, Jim. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, um, does 11 in a row then become your reason for for being? Um, Or do you start looking beyond that? And do you start looking beyond even Scottish football at that stage? I think you have to look beyond that. I mean, I think 10 is the big target. Once you go beyond 10, I don't think it matters that much. You want to win the league, obviously, but I don't think it's it's, it's the beyond end all. But as I think I said last week, you've got the Champions League factor as well. You know, so if you win the league and you get into the Champions League and you earn 30, 40, 50 million pounds, that becomes a be-all and end-all then. And it depends who you're playing against, because if, if the level of opposition continues to be what it is just now, we might be hard-pushed to win the league. You know, it was different under maybe Lenny's first time round and Ronnie Dyler's time, whereby maybe the quality of opposition wasn't as, as tough. Therefore, you could take some chances, but if, if the quality of opposition is tough and it's pushing you all the way, you, you, you really can't afford to slip up any games. Mm. Livingston, Hamilton, any of that stuff, you can't afford that. So, But Jim, have you not seen the news? Gerard will be the England manager next season, so you know they'll need to find somebody else to bring in and will he be as effective? These are, these are all the things we're going to have to consider. But uh, you'll remember all the talk back in the day about Celtic trying to push a move into the English League. And we've had some fascinating insights from the likes of David Lowe and Paul Smith on this show, talking about buying Wimbledon Football Club for £40 million, changing the registered address to Celtic Park, changing the name of the club to Celtic. That is never going to happen now. I mean, we've seen this week, obviously, the big picture, the proposal down in English football. Um, They're basically looking after themselves down there. That's never going to happen. And in actual fact, at this moment in time, it can't because there's regulations and stipulations that would prevent it. But what I did like, looking back to the early 2000s, and you'll remember Alan McDonald was you know, pushing pretty hard for this transatlantic league. Yeah. I think it was it called the G9 at that time, wasn't it? And there was nine nations who were going to be involved in it. Yeah, I think that's the future. That is the that is the future. I think I've said before that I'm. I, it's one of these you, you should you should watch what you wish for. Some of the things. If we end up in that English top tier, which is just a money pit, spending ridiculous amounts of money. I mean, I I can't get my head around some of these transfer fees, irrespective of who it is, unless it's Messi or Ronaldo. 80 million for Harry Maguire, you know, and mm. and, they'll, and they'll say these things, we're looking at Sky just now, but, but, but they'll say this stuff as if it's no big deal. Some guy at Place of Villa, who's the guy at Place of Villa this year, who they're, who they're touting, he's an 80 million pound player. Never heard of him. So, so, so it's a big number. I think, was it, was it Bayern? Was it, was it, who's the guy at Bayern that Man Man you interested in? Jason Sanchez? Jeez, is that his... Sanchez, anyway, they've got quoted 120 million for, for mm. this guy, Sanchez, mm-hmm. who plays, it's either Bayern Munich or Dortmund, German team, anyway. 120 million for one player who get injured the next week. 
She's bonkers. But, du- but during that speculation, I think Man U were, or- were offering 108. And then you're watching Sky Sports and they're asking the pundits' opinions on this, Jim. And they're saying, well, what's the difference between 108 and 120? It's mental. Well, well it's £12 million, it's mate. Mental. It's <laughs> you know, mental. And, and from a personal point of view, I don't like it. And I wouldn't like Celtic to be in that league where they're buying players for £60 million, £70 million. I can handle five or maybe nine. I mean, when we signed Eddie for nine, you were thinking, what are they doing? It's nine, mil- nine million pounds. It's a huge amount of money. Never spent that before. Uh, so I've just got to get my head around nine million. You know, if it was 90 million, you're thinking, what are you doing on one player? Plus his wages for three or four seasons. What have you got tied up in that one player? And what have you seen amazed at Ozil who can't be, can't be bothered? I know. £350,000 a week. I'm no playing. To, to look after the mascot. To look after the mascot. I mean, it's just... And that's where football goes mad. And I think in Scotland, we're like in a, like in a halfway house. I don't think we're mad. We're kind of... It's kind of okay. And a lot of people like Scottish football. We've still got a bit of a... You know, there's the sensibility there. And uh, I had a great conversation, Johnny, actually, with Johnny. Johnny said that, yeah. And what he said was excellent. What he yeah. said, we've, we've retained a bit of that. That uh, beauty that... You know, that old romantic notion, What did you? why did you fall in love with football? Scottish football still got a bit of that, Jim. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's why I think, uh, as I said, I wouldn't like Celtic to be signing players for £80 million. Even if they had £80 million to spend, it wouldn't sit right. Plus the wages, because these guys are on, say, £100,000 a week. That's £5 million a year. Four-year contract, £20 million plus eighty. There's £100 million tied up in £100 million. And as you said, the guys in Sky Sports, what's the difference between 108 and £120? £12 million. And it's... And it's and it's so blasé. I know. You know, and also the fact that football is in this fantasy world. Whereas we live in this real world where people are losing their jobs, COVID's kicking in, and we're saying, oh yeah, sign him for £80 million. It's just utterly bonkers. But it, it's crazy. The question how... you posed was about what's the future? The future yeah. for me is some sort of European league. And that goes back to that Nations League thing. That was a good idea because what they actually did is we're going to pair you up with teams of a similar standard. Mm-hmm. So we don't get a doing off somebody. Or you'll give them a doing. Not that you've given anyone a doing recently. So you're paired up with Israel and Slovenia and the Czech Republic. You don't, you're not paired up with Germany, Italy and these kind of guys. So that's quite a good idea. And I think that's the future. A European league where you start off, Division 1's Real Madrid and Barcelona guys, and we're maybe Division 4 or 5. And we're in there with maybe Sporting Lisbon and Anderlecht and all these kind of guys. And you work your way up a pyramid system, up the way and, and down the way. And possibly, if you're a Celtic or your near neighbours, maybe you've got enough money to keep a team in Scotland. Kind well, of like your Colts thing, but, yeah. a, but, a, but a better version of your Colts thing, who can't win the league. And you make that an optional thing for all the teams. So if Hibs want to join this European league, they can join the European league. And maybe Hibs couldn't have a second team because they couldn't afford that. But by all means, Hibs going to Division 9 or Division 10 or something like that. So, so, so you put something in place where if teams want to be ambitious and go to the European league, on you go and if other teams can't afford it they want to do it and they stay where they are and you've got a far more you've got a better league then here so you, teams like Kilmarnock could win the league because because the bigger teams are not part of that league and I just think that's a better way forward for me because you then work your way up but if you actually work your way up at some point you get into Division 1 mm. and you're back in with the guys who are spending 80 90 million pounds again so so where's the kind of balance with that one you know, but I think as I said be kind of careful what you wish for with some of this stuff. And it won't happen soon unless Sky think it's a good idea. If they think it's a good idea, yeah. And it's then the it bit becomes... you said earlier about the top clubs in England want to have their own say. There's something that started happening. And as you said before, it's all about money. So if, if bringing Celtic to the party is going to up the money for them, then they'll quite gladly discard Burnley and West Bromwich Albion and Crystal Palace and these guys. Because they're not bringing money to the table. But if Celtic are doing that, then... I don't think they're that bothered what you're going, you going to call the league. Don't care. And the thing, the other bugbear of mine was the fact the Champions League there, that was the first Champions League final between champions mm, in like I know. 15 or 20 years or something like that. You know, and, and, and that annoys me, that whole kind of, you know, you can have four teams in the Champions League from one country. That's just, it's just madness. You know, it just devalues everything. Yeah. Oh, it certainly does. And it's contrived. I think when the original proposals were spoken about quite seriously back in Alan McDonald's day. They were talking about a system whereby if, let's say, the top two clubs in Scotland entered into this European or Transatlantic League, 
there was an opportunity for them to get relegated back into their domestic league and for clubs in the domestic league to get promoted out of it. Mm. So there was all these um, different kind of pyramid systems yep. uh, within that that actually benefited everybody. So it wasn't as if Celtic would fly the nest and never be seen again. Yeah. You yeah. know? So I, I think that's something else that will come to the, back to the table at some point, Jim. Now, Kevin Graham, who will be known to a lot of people who tune into a Celtic state of mind, Kevin is saying Jason Leach, Airdrie fan, cough, cough, will be thinking up an excuse as we speak. And I, obviously he's referring to Ryan Christie not playing tomorrow. My money is on different rules in different areas of the country. Would you expect, Jim, for Celtic to be in active dialogue with Arsenal at the moment? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And as I said at the start, I don't know what the reason would be for letting Kieran Tierney play, but if he gets to go ahead, then you'd have to piggyback on that with Ryan Christie. You'd have to have to go, if they said it's okay because of this reason, whatever that reason may be, we would just play the same card. Now, Damien Gallagher has made an interesting point, because as I said before, Jim, Celtic have been particularly badly hit by this virus in terms of uh, you know players uh, being out of tomorrow's game and Damien asks do Rangers have the squad to cope if the virus was to hit them as it has hit other squads I don't think any club in Scotland would be Celtic have a particularly strong and, and uh, deep squad so like you said there even the worst case scenario we could put a team on that field tomorrow and you wouldn't be expecting for it to be a, a you know a walk in the park for Rangers I think if you took three of our key players out Eddie's one of those key players. Maybe Ryan Chris is one of those key players. If you took three, three key players out from us and three from them, I think they would struggle badly. But if you took Kent, James Tavernier, and one of the centre-backs, big... What's his name? Holanda. Goldson. Goldson. Oh, Goldson. If you take their three... Looking at that just now. If you take their three key players out, I think they would struggle. Mm-hmm. If you took three of our key players out, I think we'd be OK. I think we would cope OK. But say. Uh, but again, it's just fascinating all this stuff has happened. No, you're absolutely right. And, and also, also things the fact that because these are in, because if your players have been picked by the national team, ipso facto, they must be the best players. So you're sending your best players away, and those are the ones that are most at risk. They're the ones that are most at risk. And there's no duty of care, which is the kind of punchline for me today. There's no duty of care at all. Now, you mentioned something earlier on when we were talking about who to play on the left-hand side, be that uh, Greg Taylor or... Diego like Salt and one thing I would say is obviously the international game's been played over the last couple of weeks there Jim and Scotland have gone through the the sequence of games unbeaten and they're obviously progressing under Stevie Clark and I made the point yesterday to a few people that you know back in the day uh, of Craig Brown for example we would we would actually qualify for the major tournaments the finals and a lot of the time we would be playing people who were journeymen. So you can you can remember some of the players I'm, I'm referring to, Matty Elliott, Colin Calderwood. These yeah. guys would play a lot of games for Scotland, but they'd get the job done, yeah. not in a spectacular fashion, not great to watch a lot of the time, but they would get the job done. And I think the reason I'm bringing this up is because Steve Clark obviously was a huge part in the development and the progression of Greg Taylor's career. And I think that he is typically the type of player that Stevie Clark would like, a guy that goes out and defends. And I think that's where there's been a wee bit of a misconnect when he's coming to the Celtic side. He's getting the ball far more often than he's probably used to up in the top third of the pitch. He doesn't have that instinct. He takes a touch where sometimes you want him to play it first time. It goes backwards, it goes sideways. And I think that is what we've been looking for. Someone more in the mould of a frimpong. You're not going to get another frimpong, but like so more direct more offensive and I think that's why I would throw um, the Uruguayan right in tomorrow oh, aye. the more attack minded players I would as a, back to the start I would play I wouldn't play the team I'd play the game I would say we've got, we've got a better 1-11 to 11, uh, let's attack and let's just go for it albeit they're a very dangerous team on you, you know on the if things you know if you're, if you're playing a cautious football like, from right to left left to right and suddenly they get the ball they just attack in packs you know, so we have to be wary of that. But at the end of the day, uh, and obviously Lenny will know exactly what he's going to do, but I, I would play the game. I would just go and attack and let them think about us and see how it goes. And if we score first, I think we'll be absolutely fine. Let's have a wee chat then about the the game itself. I've predicted 2 nothing. We have no idea at this moment in time if Eduardo will make up uh, any of the 20. Yep. We don't know 
and we're asking the question about Ryan Christie, I think there is a potential for there to be a development between the end of this broadcast and the broadcast that we do tonight at 8 o'clock, Jim. We might be talking about Christie being in the squad. That would be fantastic. I, I wouldn't write that off yet. Yeah. Um, but I have predicted 2-0. And normally, I would say Edward's going to score a goal. It all comes down to who we pick up front. I've picked Griffiths, and I'm going to say Griffiths is going to score. So that's my prediction. How do you see the game going tomorrow? I'll go 3-1. I think both teams will score. I think Lee will score a couple. And then, uh, I'd like him to run from the start. I think it'll cause the most damage if he's running from the start. I think we have to keep them moving at the back. Uh, if we play that kind of side-to-side stuff, that, that'll be right up their street. So we have to bomb down the right front pole and bomb down the left like so, we have to Griffiths moving and maybe, as I said, he'll maybe play Mo or Moy alongside him. Just, just keep moving people around uh, and I think we'll get a bit of joy through there. But we have to be very careful of, of how they play. And as I said, it's down the right, Tavernier, down the left, Barisic, whip the balls in. And they're not whipping high balls in, they're whipping balls in a bit, you know, waist height. That's where they're getting their joy. So Duffy and I and Julian have to go in the game. But I can say about Julian because he's not played in. Yeah, four or five weeks. Another consideration. Yeah, uh, and obviously a bit concerned with the guy in the black tomorrow. So that's out with their control. So well, there's been a few things out with their control for this game, and we'll cover that just before we get finished up, Jim. But Jai McDee, the reason I brought you brought you into the discussion here is you're you're mentioning Johnny Owen and the fact that he was a breath of fresh air. And I would like to touch on this for anyone who tunes into the broadcast on a daily basis at half twelve. Uh, and we thank you all for getting involved because the numbers are growing and we're here obviously to engage with you as well. We don't always get through every single question, of course, but we do try and cover as many of the points that are raised as possible. But we've done an interview earlier this week, Jim, with Johnny Owen. And Johnny, of course, was one of the earlier uh, guests on a Celtic State of Mind when it, it seriously was recorded around a kitchen table and recording phone calls and that kind of thing. It gave us his time, even though he's a hugely successful actor, director, author. Um, he's a board member at Nottingham Forest. And he's a great guy. And I, I was uh, so enthused listening back to that interview. And I think what we'll do on Sunday is I'll put it out as a podcast on, on speaker and iTunes, etc. Such but enthusiastic guy. What did, you make, what did you make of Johnny? He's, he's, his knowledge was brilliant, wasn't Such it? Such an enthusiastic guy. Aye. That was the bit that came across. That he just, he just loved stuff. It was just, this is good and that's good. And that. He was just dead enthusiastic. And I love enthusiastic people because they make things happen. So, yeah, and looking forward to the, the Three Kings Steen, Busby, Shankly. I was doing a wee bit of digging about online yesterday, so it is listed as the 4th of November. Um, is at the Glasgow Film Theatre it's going to be shown it? So get registered on the website, uh, The Three Kings. It's called threekingsfilm.co.uk. And what you'll get an email alert to tell you how you can claim your tickets. There's going to be limited amounts, obviously under circumstances. It would be brilliant to be able to go and see that film. I'm going to try my damnedest to get a couple of tickets, Jim. Um, but Johnny did say we'd come back on the show, so let's get him back on after the Celtic Rangers game. Um, but it was funny because after he had been on, I don't stalk anybody, Jim. I'm like yourself. It's nice to, to have that contact, but I won't stalk them. But every so often, if we were maybe playing Rangers, he would send me memes of F.A. Ambrose and all that. Mm-hmm. So we stayed in touch throughout that period, and it was great to, to catch up with him again. But of course, his fiancée, Vicky McClure, uh, plays alongside Martin Comston in line of duty. So there's the... The, the up-to-date Celtic reference, but he was a Celtic fan way back. He was coming up during the, the 80s and 90s. And you don't stalk people, is that right? You no, I, I don't. That, I don't stalk people and there's a wee gap. Honest. There's a wee bit you left, <laughs> left it hanging there as if, mm, maybe I do stalk people. Oh, honestly, I don't. Um, but yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure because, as I say, it's great to get people involved and en- engage with Celtic fans who watch a Celtic state of mind. We're going to be back on tonight at about 8 o'clock. I'll confirm that on the social media channels in case there's any issues with getting the guys through. I'll be joined by uh, Jim Simonetti from the Jimmy Johnson Academy and also Stevie Mullen from St Rocks. But all that's left for me to say today, Jim, is thank you once again for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. Thanks, Paul.
Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company go to iHeartResults.com for more Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.